You are listening to the Live Diet Free Podcast. I'm your host, Esther Avant, personal trainer, sports nutritionist, and weight loss coach. I'm here to help you lose weight for the last time without sacrificing your quality of life to do it. So pop your headphones in, go for a walk, and learn how to become the healthiest, happiest, and most confident version of yourself. Welcome back to the Live Diet Free Podcast. I'm Esther Avant, and I'm excited for another client spotlight episode. Today with us, we have our amazing client, Jen, and I'm really excited for you to hear about her story, her successes, and just all the the awesome stuff that's happened in the course of the last six-ish months. So Jen, thank you so much for being here. I'd love if you just told us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, where you live, that sort of thing. Hi, Esther. Good morning. I am very thrilled and honored to be doing this today. Um, I've been kind of loosely bragging to my friends. I'm going to be on a podcast episode, so <laughs> very excited to get this out onto, onto the socials. Um, I live in Maryland. I um, just 41 last weekend. Woohoo! For being- Happy belated. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I have two wonderful kids. Ava and Judah um, have been married to um, the love of my life for 20 years, Wes. And um, I work for uh, the Board of Education in the county that I live. I am a specialist in the instructional data office, which sounds super fancy, but really it just means a lot of technical management and support. I feel like that's what I've learned about all of the fancy sounding jobs is people are like, it sounds fancy, but it's not. Yeah. I mean, I literally fell into it and it's been a great experience. I have learned a lot, but I feel like my job title makes me sound much more like super engineering than I really am. That's how I feel when I say I'm like, I'm the CEO of a company. I'm like, eh, it's a company that like that I started and you know, there's, yeah. there's a few of us, but it sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> my husband's a CEO too, so I know what that means. Exactly. I also know how hard you guys work, so it's all good. Yes. Okay. So give us a little bit of backstory as to how you were feeling and what you were having a hard time with before you sought out coaching with us. Yeah. So, um, I mean, fitness was not really a thing for me growing up. It was not a value or anything that was instilled in me as a kid. Um, I think any conversation that was ever had around like health, uh, was weight management really. And in the family that I grew up in, um, there were a lot of petite women in my family. I mean, I'm just barely five foot. Um, and, all of the ladies in my family were, were pretty tiny. And, um, as a, as a kid, um, my grandmother would go out and buy me a milkshake. Cause she would say, you're, you're too thin. You know, you look like you just need a vanilla milkshake and what kid isn't going to say, no, I, I really don't need a vanilla milkshake. And so it was very difficult for me transitioning into adulthood and, um, the, the childbearing years, because I had literally no framework or handle for that. And had been teeny tiny my whole life, you know, 90 pounds on my wedding day, just effortlessly because of um, being smaller in frame to um, having two pretty close back-to-back pregnancies and gaining weight and not really knowing what to do with that. And so um, I sought out a lot of different a lot of different resources to try to help me. I um, went into the paleo world for a little bit and um, went into calorie counting and had some moderate success with that. 
sort of started exercising, doing a lot of cardio and really got into a, a mental state that was uh, looking back, I would say really unhealthy. I had never cared enough about my weight to um, punish myself with counting calories. I enjoy food too much. I enjoy celebration too much. Um, and so I never felt successful because I didn't care enough to actually put the effort in. There were probably about five or six years where I got like a major case of the efforts and literally did nothing. I just said, I'm basically disconnected from this because I'm so tired of kind of what had gotten into my head was this sort of righteousness around clean eating and the quality of food that I was eating. Um, and that felt very exhausting to me because I felt like, okay, in order for me to actually sustain this lifestyle, I, it's going to have to be my top priority in life. And I know that it never will be. Um, there are just too many other things and people that are going to come to the, the forefront. And so last year, um, during the pandemic, really, I feel like was, you know, I know for so many people, um, it was about just getting through and just existing and dealing with all of the additional stressors that were placed on people, which I totally understand. And so I definitely don't want to send the message that the pandemic was the prime season of life to make a big health shift. Um, but for some reason, that worked for me. I was working from home. I finally had the ability to I feel like kind of get in touch with that part of myself that I had shelved and discarded and kind of disconnected from for a long time. And um, in light of the pandemic and, and sort of just the fragility of life being at the forefront, it really made me um, awaken, I guess, to that part of myself of like, I have not, I've, I've done a lot of work loving myself, um, with my mental health, with my relationships. I've made so many positive shifts in my life. And this is the one space that doesn't align with everything else about who I am. Um, and so that, that caused me to seek out some support um, on Facebook, which is always a big risk. Um, but that led to kind of the idea of macros and just fitness in general and how to prioritize that more. There's so, there's so many good pieces in there. I think one that I want to touch on is just how interesting it is and, and how, I guess, problematic I think it is that we aren't taught how to eat, you know, what, what anything really about nutrition growing up. And I feel like even regardless of, of your weight growing up, whether you grew up thin and like just not really needing to think about it, or you grew up overweight and it was kind of drilled in you, you need to be thinking about it constantly. It's like almost no woman makes it to adulthood with a very good relationship with food or a very good understanding of like how the whole things work, thing works. And I feel like then that's why so many of us have like these stumbling blocks is because you just very similar to taxes. Like you just don't know, like all of a sudden you're expected to feed yourself and to maintain a healthy weight and you just don't know how. So I think yes. just kind of acknowledging that you, you don't have to have had lifelong weight struggles to kind of feel out of sorts and feel like you don't know what you're doing. And I also appreciate kind of hearing the, the, the journey because I think so many of us can relate to that. And when you talked about kind of being paleo and in that kind of, you know, righteous 
clean food space that resonated with me as well. I remember when I met my now husband, we were both, you know, quote unquote paleo and we're just really snooty about it. You know, I remember one Thanksgiving or one Christmas, we went to his parents' house and we're like, oh, we'll bring a paleo, you know, dish. Um, you know, like we're like we're so much better. And then having subsequently being able to look back on it, I'm like, oh, it wasn't wasn't healthier. It wasn't lower calorie. It was just excluding certain things. And I think a lot of times we use those experiences to kind of beat ourselves up of, oh, you know, look how ridiculous I was then or how little I knew. But for the, for most of us, we have to go through those things to then kind of at the, arrive at the place where you have now, which is in finding that balance, in realizing it doesn't actually need to be the top priority in my life in order for me to look good and feel good and see results and, and that sort of thing. And I want to definitely get into your results. One thing I wanted to touch on, though, was it was very apparent to me on our consult call and in every check-in of yours that I've read how willing you were. And you you talked about having done kind of some, some mindset and some mental work prior. And I think that is so apparent. And it's something that I really feel like the women who either work in like a mental health field or have done that work on their own are typically the most successful because you're so much more open to to doing that work. And for most women, it's less about what do I eat or how much do I eat or what do I do for workouts? And it's more about like, what is, what's the actual obstacle here? Why am I not doing those things consistently? Where's the, where's the hang up? And you've always been really open to kind of exploring that and doing the introspection. And I want to, um, a little bit later, we'll kind of touch on that because I think you'll have some good insights to share. But in the meantime, tell us kind of about your um, your accomplishments so far, whether it's numerical or your non-scale victories, your lessons, that sort of thing. What's different now as opposed to when you started? So, so many things are, are different for me. Um, I think part of the the hesitation that I had about even kind of facing some of the choices that I had been making was this feeling of um, it would take so much from me, so much effort, so much time, so much enjoyment, and that just hasn't been the case. So it's given so much more to me than it has taken. Um, some of the like stats or bullet points, my, my baseball card, um, I have successfully lost and kept off 22 pounds. Um, and that has been in less than a year. And I don't want to put anything out there to like compare, uh, you know, what, what do we love to say? Like you are you, she is she probably my favorite quote, um, to come out of my fitness journey. I love that. Um, but I have managed to, to lose those 20 pounds, definitely lost inches, um, and have sort of shifted my mindset around my priorities. So of course, at the beginning, it was all about weight loss. I wanted to see that scale go down and that was my marker of success. Um, and I equated kind of a thinness or leanness or lightness with success. Um, and that has probably been the most transformative shift for me because really in reflection, you know, for the majority of my life, I was thin, um, but I was not healthy. I, I was in, I, I could in no way make an argument for health. Um, and so moving into the world of strength training, um, understanding what my body is actually capable of um, has been extremely transformative. I love 
lifting weights. I love feeling um, powerful and I love nourishing my body and fueling my body in a way that makes all of those things possible and everything feels like it's working um, synergistically. You know, my, my clothes are fitting better. I have more energy. And I think all of that just leads to this bubbling up of confidence, you know, and that's something that my, my husband has always said to me over the years of like, it really isn't about aesthetics. It's not about hitting a specific goal. It's feeling confident. And when you, and you can feel confident at any weight, at any season in your life, you know, no matter what is happening externally, that internal confidence. And for me, it, it, you know, I want to say it's not about how I look. That, that isn't true. I mean, that's a lie. There are some things about um, appearance that are really rewarding and beneficial. When I put on, um, when I put on my dress this morning, you know, that I probably wouldn't have worn six months ago, um, I put that on set. I just feel good. I feel strong. I feel like I, um, what it is, is I feel connected and grounded to the person that I wanted to be, but didn't know how to be. Um, and so those shifts are way more significant than whatever the scale says to me. That has now become the most insignificant part of the data set for me. I love that. And I think you really hit the nail on the head with those mindset and lifestyle shifts are what it's all about. There's so many women, a lot of you listening probably feel like once I get to X weight, then you know, I'll be happier, I'll, I'll be more confident, I'll be different, and I'll just, you know, I'll figure it out from there. And that's not what it is. It's about shifting, you know, where your priorities are. Like you said, you cannot expect for everything to stay the same and somehow you are just maintaining a, a smaller body weight. There are so many, everything, like you said, you know, right now everything is is working synergistically. Everything is so interconnected that you really can't address the food and the exercise without addressing this other stuff. Or if you do, it's not going to last because you're not thinking in terms of how is this future version of myself different than who I am now? What choices does she make that I'm not currently making? And how do I start becoming that person? And one of the things that I think really exemplifies that, and I hope I didn't, I didn't, uh, um, Brief you about this. I don't. I think you'll be comfortable talking about it. One of the things that I think really exemplifies that for you is the way you started exploring your relationship with alcohol. And I think this is something, especially in the pandemic, like so many people started drinking more, and so the majority of us drink socially, and also realize that that is a habit that may be holding us back. Whether it's you know the actual act of drinking too much, or you know the way you feel the next day, or just kind of not following through on the limits you set for yourself, things like that. I think when when you started experimenting with you know do I want to drink tonight? How will I feel if I don't? And that sort of thing. Um, I think that's the perfect example of becoming a new version of yourself, where you don't just expect everything to remain the same yet cause different uh, results. So would you mind talking about that piece of this for you? Yeah, absolutely. And no worries. I, I'm very open, you know, to, to any part of this that we want to talk about. So at, ask away. No, no worries on that front. Um, I think for me, you know, I've never, uh, I have not over my adult years felt like alcohol was really a, a struggle for me. I felt like I could drink when I wanted to and not drink when I chose not to. And I, I never saw myself in a light as someone who had a 
problem with alcohol. Um, and I really started to question that as I, uh, you know, opened the door to this, this journey of health and fitness and um, counting macros and kind of seeing what would fit and what wouldn't fit and really struggling mentally with the idea of, okay, it isn't even necessarily about the macros and whether or not it can fit. I can make that work. Um, it's, it's really about all of the adjacent side effects that are happening as a result. I started um, being more honest with myself about the fact that, yes, I like wine, um, but I'm not a five ounce of wine drinker right now. Um, what I do right now is I have a glass of wine and then that glass of wine makes me feel like all of the glasses of wine are a good idea. And I think that that's a very normal um, <laughs> progression of what happens when we intend to maybe have one drink and then end up having more. And so I've had to have some um, difficult conversations with myself. I've, I've talked to you about it. I've talked to Meg about it. The support has been really great with that. Talked to my husband and, and my, my close girlfriends about that. Like, hey, do I have a, an actual issue here? And I think what I have come to feel really comfortable and confident in is that it isn't, I can put the alcohol down. Where I was getting tripped up is the idea, kind of touching on what I said earlier, of food and alcohol and that moment of pouring that glass being a form of self-care. You know, that, that this signifies that when I pour this glass of wine, it's gen time. I'm taking time for me. All of the responsibilities, my job, my kids, all of the things that I'm doing to manage a family um, are kind of set aside. And I'm pouring back into myself literally as I'm pouring the wine. Um, and I enmeshed those concepts for so long, you know, that I had a hard day. So I deserve to have French fries. And, um, you know, the way that, that, and you really illustrate this so well, Esther, this idea of, of using food and alcohol as a reward system, when really, I can have anything I want at any time. It's a choice that I'm making. No one is um, holding something back for me. And so I was afraid to give up alcohol because I thought it would mean I was losing that space that was mine to give back to myself and that by eliminating alcohol, it would take something from me when really um, eliminating or uh, decreasing my usage of alcohol has opened up other ways for me to show up for myself and to care for myself. Um, you know, I have some friends who can have a drink or two, and it really doesn't have an impact on them that's noticeable past that moment. But I think that is, at least in my experience, the exception. Alcohol for me um, has an impact that goes into the next day and maybe even the day after that. And it became um, less and less worth it to me to have those negative consequences. Um, so yeah, that's sort of been my, my journey with with alcohol. I still will have drinks. I went out last night with my husband and um, my niece and her fiance, and it was sort of like a beautiful celebratory evening. We sat outside in downtown Baltimore. It was beautiful. And we shared a, a picture of sangria. And, uh, you know, I, I embrace that now as I do know how to trust myself in this situation because I have removed it from a self-care category and put it in its appropriate box 
which is I'm having it for enjoyment in the moment. It's not healing me in some way. It's not giving something back to me in some way. Um, and breaking that connection between food and alcohol and self-care has been a really big one for me. That was one of the best sound bites, I think, that has been on this podcast ever. You guys oh may gosh. want to rewind <laughs> that and listen to that over and over. That was so, so well said. And, and something that stood out, I was probably months ago now, but one of your check-ins, you were kind of talking through the, the alcohol and you said something that really resonated with me and that I've thought about a lot since, that you were taking notice of when your experiences were enhanced with alcohol and when they were like the opposite, I guess, worsened. And I thought that's, you know, I, I use that as a litmus test for myself now is it's just very easy to just like kind of mindlessly do it. It's, it's the normal behavior. Everybody drinks. When you go out for dinner, everybody gets a cocktail. When you finish the day, you open the bottle of wine, you don't even think about it. And when you give yourself that opportunity to pause and say, kind of get to the, get to the root here, like you said, is this me trying to perform self-care in a really kind of ass backwards way? Or is this me really, you know, thinking this would taste delicious. This will help me enjoy this evening more because it's special like your night last night. I think that's the perfect way to, to kind of gauge it. If you can't pinpoint why or how this is going to make your experience better, then it probably won't. Um, and a couple of other things that I think are great about it are that you didn't go into the all or nothing space of immediately kind of like restricting it and saying, well, obviously I can't do it in moderation, so I'm just, I'm just never going to drink again. You put in the work to experiment and to explore a little bit with what would it be like if I did? What would it be like if I didn't? And you actually reflected back on those experiences and have kind of given yourself this framework for knowing when, when it's probably going to be a yes and when it's probably going to be a no. And like you said, you've learned that you can trust yourself to make that decision and it doesn't need to be this, I'm either a drinker or a non-drinker. Yes, absolutely. And I, I will definitely shout out um, my coach, Meg, for her support with that, because, I, you know, honestly, when I was struggling with that, I wanted to run back to that black and white thinking that felt safe. That's home base. I know how to restrict and not do something and put it in a bad category. And Meg really um, very directly, but tenderly guided me through that process to say, I really think you need to dig through this a little bit more and kind of challenge yourself on, on what you're saying about who you are and what you're capable of here. Like if you enjoy a craft cocktail, when you go out to dinner, go for it. Like she um, believed in me. She could see that I had the capability to do that. And that was extremely helpful in that place when I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to run back to safety and not even attempt to moderate. I had told myself for a long time, I wasn't a moderator that I was an abstainer. And um, she really challenged that. Like, is, is that true? Is that what the data is showing us? Is that um, you can't be a moderator? And so super shout out to Meg on that one. I love that. She's really, really exceptional at that, at telling you exactly what you need to hear directly, but in a way that you don't, <laughs> you don't feel called out, you don't feel defensive about it. And um, I think the the other thing with a lot of behaviors, but alcohol is a great example of it, 
is that, you know, the, the state of the United States right now, the majority of adults are overweight or obese, which means that the habits that the majority of us are in are relatively unhealthy. So what's considered normal is usually like in order to make lasting changes and, and become, you know, this healthier version of yourself, you, you need to start bucking the status quo. And that's really hard. And it also makes it harder to realize that you need to do it because when you crack a bottle of wine, so are all your friends. When you talk about how hard your day was, everybody commiserates with, yeah, you need a bottle of wine or let's get together for drinks or just there's so much of our culture wrapped up in unhealthy behaviors that when you start to want to make changes, I see something I see a lot is women who will say, you know, I'm, I'm desperate to lose weight. I feel like I'm doing everything and nothing's working, but I'm not willing to give up my glass, my nightly glasses of wine. I'm not, you know, it's, it's like this laundry list of changes that you're not willing to make. And it's like, just because those are common behaviors doesn't mean they're, you know, they're the best choice. And in order to get the results that most people won't have, you need to be willing to do the things that they're not, which is questioning these things and testing them out for yourself and being okay with kind of, you know, being that outlier with being the person who says no, thank you. And is comfortable sitting with that discomfort of people can say what they want. You know, friends can give me a hard time or question me about it, or I can, you know, potentially start to distance myself from people in my life. All of that is okay. And those, the, the potential of that happening shouldn't be the reason that you don't make the changes that you know you need to, to be the best version of yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay. One of the other things that I've really admired is that, so I read, even when I'm not working one-on-one with our clients, so Jen is one of, uh, one of Meg's one-on-one clients. I read all of the weekly check-ins. We have staff meetings, Meg and Tanya and I, and we talk about how each client is doing and, and all of that. So I'm, I'm pretty involved, even though I'm not directly on the phone calls. And one of the things that I loved seeing in your check-ins, number one, is just how thoughtful you were and how much effort you put into them. And that's great because it's not just for our benefit. Of course, your coaching is better when we have like that window into your brain, but they're also the opportunity for you to make that time for yourself and for you to start thinking reflectively about, you know, how was my week? Where do I want to set the bar next week? And what I really admired was that you would tell us when you were struggling. And I think even when you're paying somebody to help you with a certain thing, I noticed this with my business coaches, I'll, I'll have something on my mind and I'm like, mm, I don't want to bother her or mm, I've, you know, I've, I've asked too many questions or I've been too needy. Um, and that's just so, that's just so silly. So I really admire that when you needed support and when you were having a hard time, you said it and you talked us through, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what's going on. And you asked for what you needed. And because of that, you received as much help as you, as you could get. Can you tell me a little bit about how you've, I don't know if that is a a kind of natural quality for you, but how have you gotten comfortable with that, with asking for the help that you need and with really communicating that um, on, on your own behalf, I guess. Yeah. So I, so throughout the one-on-one coaching journey with Meg, for the majority of the time, I was very direct sort of about what I needed or, or when I needed help, but there were moments a little bit further along um, towards the end of my one-on-one coaching time with her 
where I started to feel a little bit, uh, a little bit nervous about admitting that I was struggling. I felt like, okay, I should be further along now. I'm about to graduate from the one-on-one coaching session. You know, I should be a pro at this by now and really um, got myself into um, like a two-week span, which is very short in the scheme of things, but over a three-month session, that, that's, a, that's a significant amount of time where I felt like I just was not being very transparent. Um, I had come back from vacation, really just crushed it on my vacation, like felt so proud of myself. And when I came back into town, I thought, okay, I'm just going to keep going. I'm, I'm getting right back on track. But life just slammed me when I got back. And so um, I kind of, I didn't completely fall off of my plan, but I was sort of distancing myself, just dissociating a little bit from the choices that I was making. And I didn't want to own up to that. And I had been owning up to things or being very honest about things, like you said, and it really felt uncomfortable to me to not do that. Um, And so for me, that was a lesson of, you know, I'm, I'm preventing myself in this moment from getting the help that I need from someone who like all she wants to do is support me. That's that's literally what she's wanting to do. Um, and I'm afraid of disappointing her. Talk about like a prime opportunity to dig into some like childhood wounds and, and <laughs> long, long held beliefs about myself and how people see me and things like that. Um, and really, Esther, like so many things in life, it was just a choice to say, okay, Jen, you can keep going down this road and sort of spinning wheels and wasting time, or you can just own it and be real and ask for the help that you need. And I think for me, that was, a. am really glad that that experience happened because it showed me some pridefulness that I had in myself, just this feeling of um, the presentation that I want to put out to the world of like, I have my shit together and like, I'm Meg's best client because my adherence is 100%. And, you know, she might have all of these other people who like are really struggling, but not Jen Westcott, like she's up there making it happen. And that's a a little bit embarrassing to admit, but it's the truth, you know, that I I really wanted to see myself in that way. Um, And I wanted Meg to see me in that way and you to see me in that way and, and everybody else. And so I think, being willing to break that down and say, okay, that, that isn't the case. I am struggling. And that doesn't mean any of the negative things I'm telling myself about who I am. It just means that I am a real human being that has moments of struggle. And in the same way that I value being there for people in my life who need help, and I would rally around them and lift them up and say, I see the you that you are not seeing right now. Um, it is absolutely okay for me to have that as well. And um, the work there was less about tracking macros and and doing strength training. That journey was really about um, growing myself in that way and letting go of some areas of of just pride and self-protection of, I don't want to be seen like this. Um, And I'm so thankful that that happened. That that was, that was so good. I One of the reasons that I love doing these interviews is because this is what the process is like. And like you mentioned, you know, we kind of have these 
ideas of, okay, I'm committing to myself for 12 weeks. It's going to be smooth sailing. I'm going to be all in. It's going to be easy. And that's almost no one's experience. And I think, you know, as much as sharing side-by-side photos is really compelling, it's, you know, it's, it's such a small picture of everything that's happened. And that's why I really love doing these deep dives because I want this whole industry to be more transparent about what the journey is actually like. And just like progress on the scale is never linear. You don't, you know, stepwise lose a pound per week and it's and it's easy and predictable and effortless. Neither is life. And the fact that you're able to I think do the do the introspection to ask yourself, what am I making it mean that I'm struggling? And usually we realize that our brains have taken this like tiny kernel and just run with it. And you realize, well, I'm telling myself that because I'm struggling a little bit right now, it means that, you know, I'm Meg's worst client and she hates me and she's so sick of me and my problems and that I'm obviously always going to be a failure and I just can't even get my shit together after how long has it been? I should be way ahead of this. This is so beneath me. And like, you just, once you start to kind of scratch beneath the surface, you realize what a mountain there is under there. And you're like, oh, wait a second. All that's actually happening is I had a tough couple of weeks and I kind of reverted back to clamming up, which is what feels more comfortable and natural to me. None of this is irreversible. None of this is a problem. How would that future version of myself respond to this? Oh, she would reach out for help. She would, you know, she would work through this. So I really appreciate you sharing that and just being transparent that it's it's not always smooth sailing. And I know there's probably zero people listening. We've had zero clients who have just had a completely easy three month span. That's just not realistic. But the fact well, that and when you break and when you break down like what's really happening beneath the surface here. And it's probably different for other people, but in retrospect, I'm like, okay, I was stressed out because I knew I wasn't doing the things I wanted to do to support my goals, but I didn't want to, I wasn't ready to pay that bill yet. So instead of facing that, I self-protected by kind of getting into the judgment zone of like, well, I'm, I'm better than that. And so I can't reveal that part of myself, you know? And so I think the, the, the goal, right? Cause we're all going to go through that. You know, that's not the last time I'm going to find myself in that situation where I'm like, well, okay, I was an ass for those two weeks or whatever. I, I'm going to be there again. I know that I will, but I think the more we go through that and we can sort of own it, the quicker we get to that place of, Hey, see yourself, see what you're doing here. You're, you're stressed out because you're not doing the things that you want to do. Just own that. Don't like go through weeks long, a weeks long process of trying to distance yourself from those uncomfortable feelings, which is so very natural. Um, But I think a a big part of just any journey in life, not even about fitness or health or weight loss or whatever it is, but just any journey is kind of embracing that discomfort, which is um, so counterintuitive to everything that we want to do um, in our lives to self-protect and just feel okay and that was just such a wonderful um, experience of recognizing embracing my discomfort would have gotten me the help that I really needed much sooner. And so I think next time I'll remember that and I will struggle, but be more equipped to say, okay, I'm waving the flag here, you know, c- come and find me. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. Not beating yourself up about it, but using it for lessons for the future. Because you're right. 
this is all going to happen again. All the stuff that we've struggled with in the past, we are going to continue to struggle with. We're just going to learn each time how to manage it a little bit better. Like you said, how to ask for that help a little bit sooner. Um, so before we wrap up, I really want to touch on, I think this is a, a perfect opportunity to touch on kind of the mindset work that you've done, because just hearing you kind of describe that process, you make it sound pretty easy well, I just did this introspection and I realized this was what was happening and I know it's not that easy. So for, and I, I mentioned in the beginning that one of the things that stood out to me right from the jump was how willing you were to do that type of work. Would you mind touching on kind of maybe how you got to that point or what you've done that you think has been the most beneficial for you in that regard? Because I know there are a lot of listeners who were probably hearing your story and really relating to it, but then kind of getting to the to the parts where you make these, you know, really mental, really profound mental connections and then are like, whoop, lost me. Not sure how to get from A to B. What's happening here? So what has that process been like for you? How how have you trained yourself to think this way and to um to always kind of turn inward to assess what you think is going on? Yeah, so that that is a really great question. I do think I think a small component of it um, is just my natural personality, sort of the way that the way that I function. So it it has been a learning process, but some of that I think is is just natural. I'm an emotional, emotionally connected, um, heart led type of personality, and there are lots of different types of personalities and, and natural gifts that we have. And so I think for me, things like um, empathy and compassion are really high on the list. Things like uh, practical applications and cleanliness, being a tidy person are very low on the list. So, <laughs> you know, and uh, it is uh, up for debate on a daily basis as to which are more beneficial, especially in my household as I sit in a pile of laundry. Um but really a big part of that for me has been a lifelong journey of um, self-healing, right? And that sounds very like woo-woo and esoteric. What does that mean? Um, to put it in very simple terms, I um, experienced a, um, a childhood that was very disconnected from emotion. I had significant abuse in my childhood, which I know is going really, really um, deeply and kind of taking things uh, in a in a difficult direction, but that is a huge part of my journey. So to not mention that would be kind of being a little bit fake for the sake of keeping the podcast light, right? Like we all have things in our life that are dark and difficult um, and painful. And so I am very open about the fact that I experienced significant abuse and that that was, um, that was something that really marked my life and my life's journey. Um, I was very fortunate to find uh, a lot of really great support in the, in the mental health field. I've worked with a couple of really great therapists and committed to therapy for over a decade, um, off and on in varying degrees. And, you know, I think that there are a lot of paths to healing. I, I don't think that everyone needs to necessarily go to therapy, but I am a huge advocate for finding a good therapist that knows what they're doing, that you trust, that can guide you through those things. Um, and so I think there are a lot of different ways to advocate for 
making those connections with yourself. There are books and podcasts and all kinds of things. And for a lot of people, maybe even listening, the entry road for them is their physical health. You know, that's kind of the first step to getting connected to their body and to their mind and what's happening. For me, it was um, many, many years of therapy, having a skilled practitioner help me ask myself those introspective questions. So I definitely didn't pop out of a box like that. I think I had an agreeable personality to be open to those things, but really I was taught in a therapeutic setting how to ask myself questions and to challenge the story that I had told myself. You know, we have kind of touched on that all throughout this podcast, right? Like the story I told myself about my um, use of alcohol or the story I told myself about uh, fitness and, and health taking things away from me versus giving to me. And, and shout out to Brene Brown for uh, I'm a huge fan. And, and she was really the person that introduced this idea of challenging the story that I'm telling myself um, to me. And so that has been a huge part of the journey of learning how to do that. And I've done that a lot less successfully in my life. As anyone close to me will tell you, there have been years that I have um, really struggled with that. And I still struggle with that. I have not arrived in any way. And there are, there are many, many ways where I um, still have resistance or still have things that I'm working through. And I always will. I think for me, like there isn't one specific reason or motivating factor or anything like that. I just want to be awake to my life. You know, I, I touched on um, a childhood that was very difficult. And if, if anyone listening has experienced that, you know that there is a disconnect that you have to embrace to, to kind of get through that and survive. Um, and as an adult, finding myself in a safe and loving relationship with people who would support me, it really gave me the opportunity to put those defenses down and put those kind of survival tactics off to the side and start embracing um, being awake and activated to my life. And so that's what it feels like to me is just, I want to be making choices. I don't want to, I don't want to just be reacting to things that are happening. And sometimes we don't get that choice. Sometimes things happen and we have to react. But as much as I can, I want to be making conscious choices. I've seen too many people in my life and in my family kind of get to the end of their lives and realize that they've sort of been on autopilot or in crisis mode for their whole life. Um, And that is, it's really heartbreaking for me. Um, very emotional to see that happen and also instills kind of a, a, maybe a fear and maybe a healthy reflection of that doesn't have to be my story. I can make choices and I can grow and I can keep challenging myself and really working with people who can help get me there is instrumental. Thank you so much for that. And I think those of you listening, some of you probably hear Jen's story and realize you would benefit from therapy yourself right now that you have, you know, some some trauma in your past as well. And I really encourage you, like Jen just said, to to pursue that and to know that the physical changes that you're after are going to be so much easier to accomplish when you have made the 
mental and emotional changes as well. And there's probably some of you who don't think it applies to you, and, and maybe it doesn't. Um, like Jen said, you know, certainly not everyone needs to go to a therapist all the time for all the things. But what I've seen very often with clients is you want the kind of strategic help with, I just need to know, you know, what to eat. I need a workout plan, things like that. And once you have those things, you start to uncover, I'm thinking of like an archaeological site where you got a little brush and you start, you see like the glimpse of a, um, of a fossil and you're like, well, what's that? And you just kind of keep brushing and it gets bigger and bigger. What I see really often is you, once you kind of have those tactical things that you thought you needed, you realize that wasn't actually the issue at all. Now, you know, despite knowing what to do, I'm not doing it. What's going on here? And usually it becomes that deeper stuff of, you know what? I think part of me doesn't think I deserve to be thin or that I, you know, I'm not worth the time it would take to do this thing. And it may be that when you, like Jen said, you know, sometimes your health is the perfect kind of entry to this. You may find that prioritizing your health and making those changes kind of unearths some of this deeper stuff. And then if that happens, I would really encourage you to then pursue the, the mental health help because it really can be a game changer. Um, and Hopefully, you know, I think I, I really hope that we can normalize a lot of this stuff. We can normalize talking about mental health. We can normalize talking about the ups and downs of the process because so much of what we see in here is just, you know, the highlight reel of, you know, this is the first weight that I weighed and this is what I weigh now. And, and we just, we don't talk about what it's actually like. So I really appreciate getting this actual, um, you know, insider's look at this is it. This is real life. This is what it looks like. And this is what, what real growth looks like. You are a different version of yourself than you were six months ago. And I have no doubt that you're going to continue to metamorphosize into these more and more kind of, you know, advanced versions of yourself and leveled up versions of yourself. And I'm just, I'm so excited for what the future has for you and to have a front row seat at everything that you're you're doing and who you're becoming. So I really want to thank you for being here and for sharing so openly. And I know that there are a lot of listeners out there who are grateful as well and can really relate to a lot of what you said. And I just want to thank you again for that. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much for having me and kind of letting me speak on some of these topics. Um, yeah, you guys are just great and have been such wonderful like companions and guides to have on this road. I can't, cannot imagine doing it any other way. So I'm I'm very thankful for you. Oh, feelings are mutual. Thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you next week. If you like this podcast, you will love the deep dive that we provide on our consult calls. When is the last time you actually set aside any chunk of time to just think and talk about yourself, about your goals, and really dug into what's actually standing in your way? Just that alone, just having a sounding board for your thoughts can be incredibly eye-opening and help you get that aha moment that you need to actually take the first step toward lasting change. If during our conversation, we know for sure we can help you bridge the gap from where you are now to where you want to be, then we'll offer to share with you what our one-on-one -on -one coaching experience is like and how we can help support and guide you to that goal. You can book a call with us at sdavent.com slash call, and we can't wait to get to know you.